Hey, earlier this year, DraftKings crowned the first ever fantasy golf millionaire. And with golf's second major starting next week, DraftKings is at it again with an event that's even bigger and better than before. Two and a half million dollars are up for grabs. You heard me, two and a half million. And another millionaire will be made. DraftKings is America's favorite one-week fantasy golf site where you could win huge prizes every tournament. So whether you're a total golf enthusiast or just looking to try another fantasy sport like moi, DraftKings lets you experience the game in a brand new way by playing to win a million bucks. I gotta say that again. One million dollars. Just pick six golfers, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That's it. This is the biggest one-week fantasy golf contest ever. The event begins with a tournament, so choose your players before next Thursday's tee-off so you can experience the celebration of a lifetime on Sunday night. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code SNYDER to play for free for a shot to become a millionaire. Enter SNYDER now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. If you are an aspiring musician, I'd go as far as say actor, um, personality, athlete, anything. If you have aspired to greatness, especially in any kind of uh, entertainment or a field that is in the spotlight, or you know somebody who aspires to any of these things, you need to immediately notify them that they have to tune in to this podcast. Now, of course, you can pause it and tell them about it. You can email them, you can text them, but make them aware that there's information going to be imparted on today's program that is absolutely necessary to their, for, their, for their betterment, for their future. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the things that no one talks about. And I don't know why nobody talks about. Maybe it's because some don't know, and those that do know are too embarrassed by their failings, what they see as their failings, to say something about it. And I have always prided myself. Is that a word, prided? I pride myself on being that guy that's willing to open up, willing to share, willing to talk, and willing to warn people. I know I'm talking in vagaries, but this is called a tease. Right now, you're supposed to be sitting there going, what is he, what is he saying? Did you, what are you talking about, D? We're riveted. I'm talking about the fact that success is not a finish line. 
making it. I'm going to make it. We view it as some finite point where we, I don't know, once we, and I'm holding the quotation fingers, make it, we live happily ever after. That is the plan. That is the goal. Are you going to make it? I'm going to make it. 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 But nobody knows what make it means. And I can tell you right now that making it is just a point on the journey and you have no idea what is up beyond that point. There are so many twists and turns, so many surprises, so many possibilities, many of them incredibly out of your control because some of the results once you make it, some of the things that happen after you make it are a result of things you set in motion on the road to making it. I know that sounds kind of vague, but hopefully that'll come up out clearer as well. Things you did the way you handled yourself, whatever. So when you make it, the next part of the journey is the part that you're not ready for. And on today's show, I'm going to have Frankie Benali, the drummer from the band Quiet Riot, uh, who most recently has a great documentary called, uh, called Quiet Riot. Now you're here. There's no way back. And uh, it is really, I just got a a little chill saying the name and reflecting on the documentary that I just saw because it's so powerful and is so much information and it is such a cautionary tale. And it's not just for Quiet Riot fans. It's not just for heavy metal fans. It's not for old school metal fans. It's not just for rock and roll fans. It's something people should watch to be informed to see a case study from a distance because often we're not fortunate enough to be able to observe uh, the entire, uh, like, the, 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 I don't want to say lineage, but I would say the, 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 the entire entity, so to speak, of a career. But in this example with Quiet Riot and also, no, actually the Twisted Sister documentary isn't like this. But it shows you, uh, the Quiet Riot doc shows you the beginning, the middle, and the end, the ugly truths of what happens. And you can sort of observe from afar, and you can see it coming apart. You can see the the cracks in the the armor, so to speak. You can see... um, the career and you the career path that it took, and you could see the detriment that happened. And Frankie Benali and his filmmaker fiance, who uh, made the, the doc, and uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. She, um, to their credit, they uh, they, they expose the truths, warts and all. You know all the all the stuff about rock and roll and stardom that you love, yeah. The, you know the chicks, the parties, the money, everything like that, yeah. And then they show just the stark, dramatic contrast of the other side. It's not flattering, but I'm as a person who's that honest. I was taken by Frankie's honesty in this documentary, and I, I reached out to him and invited him to uh, uh, participate in this podcast to share this information with people. 
Now, I was saying that, it, that, that making it is the word. Ask anybody. Say, what are you gonna be? I'm going to be a rock star. I'm, you think you're going to do it? Oh, I'm going to make it. Like, what is that? I wrote a song called We're Going to Make It. We're going to make it. I had no idea what making it was. I assumed I knew what making it was. I had an idea. If you asked me what is making it, and I would have told you, well, this is becoming a rich, famous rock and roll star and living happily ever after. You know, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that for a life? <laughs> what kind of life plan is that? And he lived happily ever after. Where did I get that idea? Where did we get that idea? I'll tell you where you got an idea. Every damn children's book that was ever written, read to us when we were kids or that we read. There was this wonderful story, and it had a moral, and he said, oh, look, this is Cinderella, and she did this, and she did that, and then, and then this happened, and that happened, and oh, my God, that happened, and then they lived happily ever after. And that's how we all think life is going to be. Well, it's not like that, folks. I'm, I'm sorry to be the one to, uh, you know, to, to, be, to share the bad news. Okay, warning, warning. Yeah, I'm no, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy for your betterment. For your betterment. Because when you make it, that's just, I said, a step apart in the journey. Then you have no idea what's coming up next. The people that have a long career that goes on and on and on, the Ozzy Osbournes, the Elton Johns, the Eric Claptons, uh, you know, I'll put the U2s in there. I'll put, okay, bands like that, these are the point zero 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 one percenters. Majority of us, had three to five years, roughly. That was back in the day. Now, I think it's more like one to three. You know, of course, you got some pop stars. Again, you're talking about the, the 0.00001 percenters. You're not talking about the majority of us. The majority of us have a moment or two. We get the things we wanted. We got the money. We got the fame. We got the notoriety, and then it drops off. And either it's a sheer drop off the other side, or you know, or in some cases it's like, okay, I'm, I made it, now i got to keep climbing because I only made it to this plateau. I've got to make it to another plateau if I want to have any ongoing career. And I think that people who uh, have some foresight and realize that, and here I am, I'm telling you, I'm giving you information here. Okay, I'm imparting wisdom. Yes, I'm old. Where's my mom? Old button. I'm old. I, you know, I, I can, I, I'm willing to share this information with you because I want to help you. I remember. I shouldn't say remember because it's been ongoing, but I to this day will say to any up and coming artist or someone who's making some noise or starting to break who I run into, I will grab them by the collars and shake them and go, man, prepare, Pre be prepared. It's, you know, it's not just, a, it's, it's not happily ever after. Okay. Be ready to parlay. And people go parlay. You mean like in Pirates of the Caribbean? No, that's parlay. That's some French word. Not, well, this is probably a French word too. No, parlay as in to take what you are achieving and roll it into something else. Now you say, well, that's negative thought. No, that's not, you know, that's not like sort of putting yourself in a negative that I'm going to fail. No, 
You're saying you're still planning on winning, and you may be one of those point zero 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 one percenters. But the fact is, if you're not, you've now taken that energy that you've built, that money that you've gotten, the ground that you've taken, and now you're rolling it into the next thing so you can continue to do what you love and continue to benefit from all the work you put in. And like I said, this isn't just about, uh, about rock and roll. Athletes, too. Athletes, a lot of, again, three to five good years, a lot of them, if they make it. We hear all the stories about the stars, the all-stars, the glory stars, the, the big names, but there's a gazillion other players on those teams, football, baseball, hockey, you know, and some of them even have rings for, the, for their victories, but they played a year or two in the pros. They didn't go that level. They achieved. They made it to the bigs, but they didn't become superstars. You understand? And I have shaken people, and I've actually been, there's some, I've, so many, and I, but I've met some who have thanked me. All right? Who? Okay. Uh, Jeremy Popoff from the band Lit. Great band from the late 90s, early 2000s. They had their moment, and then it passed. They're still together, still a great band. Their last album, incredible. The Broken is an incredible record. Of course, it didn't do anything, but incredible record. But Jeremy, he rolled his stuff. He's got a really happening restaurant, bar, club in, uh, in, in Anaheim. I can't think of the name of it. But uh, it's, uh, it's uh, real. And so in that, he parlayed. Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard. I spoke to him. He told me, dude, I heard you. Biohazard made some noise in the late 90s, uh, but they never really got to a high level, but they did something. He parlayed into a porn empire. Uh, Evan Seinfeld went into the porn world and has done really well. He married, into, he married into it, and he did films and websites and whatever, and he's very successful. By the way, Evan Seinfeld, distant cousin of uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I don't think he's distant. I think he's actually first cousin, uh, uh, oddly enough. Um, Adam from the band Guster, the guitar player from Guster, uh, he said I, when he, after I spoke to him when he was interviewed on my radio show, um, he's just pondered that and even though guster has been a functioning rock band making records selling records touring for 20 years they've never broken into that that upper level and hearing what i had to say adam took the resources and the money and he's and he put it into uh him and his wife i don't exactly know the, the biz, full business they have but it, it's something in the world of green products something you know the, the whole green movement which when he started getting involved in it 10, 15 years ago, wasn't nearly the movement it is now. So it's really become a revenue stream uh, and, a, and a really, uh, a, a really uh, what's word, financially rewarding business for Adam and his wife. And interestingly, they picked something that they were really passionate about too, which is as a whole other thing. You know, go, you want to do something you're still passionate about. You know, Evan Seinfeld, he was passionate about pornography, so he, he reaped the benefits. You know, he married a porn star, he's in porn films, made money off the porn films. <laughs> hey, who am I to judge? I'm not judging, I'm applauding. Bravo, Evan. Bravo, Adam. Bravo, Jeremy. You listened. 
Others, I'm sure they didn't. And they're just like, here's this crazy old coot, D. Snyder. <laughs> He's screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I'm not screaming the sky is falling. I'm just trying to uh, just share with people something that nobody shared with me. There's nobody telling you, hey, man, good luck on your quest. It just might not work out. You know, it might not be exactly as you see it. All right, I'm going to take a break. Uh, when I come back, we're going to talk to Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot about the band, about these, the realities of rock and roll, the harsh realities, and about the documentary. Documentary, Quiet Riot, now you're here. There's no way back. Uh, stick around for more Snyder comments. <laughs> Snyder comments. Of course, I'm Dee Snyder, and, and that is Quiet Riot. Sucks to be you. <laughs> a track I heard for the first time on the uh, documentary, uh, Quiet Riot. Now you hear there's no way back, which, no way back, which is a great, great title. Frankie Benali in the room with me in the studio, and Regina Russell, director, producer. Do you get writer on that as well? I mean, um, it, it, when you do a doc, is there writing involved? There is writing involved. Because you scripted everything yeah. Frankie said, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I gave him notes. Oh, yeah, yeah. She and can here, make me say anything. Yeah, I, right. I need you to cry, Frankie. <laughs> I need you to show some emotion. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, well, there is a certain a structure when you write. I say writing because with a doc, even the, there's this written structure kind of as you start to figure the story that you're telling. Right. That story could have been told 100,000 different ways. So, yeah, there is writing technically. Okay, so I want to, yeah, I mean, well, you've, you've saw the story in there. So first, I'm starting with an apology to Regina, uh, public apology, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I actually don't believe, I believe I'm saying it, but I can't believe that I did this, and that is when I was told that they were doing a documentary on Quiet Riot, and that Frankie, now, was she your girlfriend then, or fiancé, or what, have you gotten married since then? What's the, what's the I think I was his girlfriend at yeah, that point. Yeah, his girlfriend at the oh, time. Oh, even, yeah. better. Yeah. even better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even better. Even better. Frankie Vanelli's girlfriend was doing a documentary in the band. I rolled my eyes. Now, this is something not in front of Regina. Regina was perfectly lovely in front of Regina. But, uh, or Frankie, for that matter. But something that I deal with every day with my wife, Suzette, who has been the woman behind my career for 39 years since I met her. Uh, since the day I wore the same top she wore to the, to the gig... <laughs> 
Uh, which, yeah, I did. I'd see, she had worn it a week earlier, and I really liked it, so I went out and bought one. Uh, from that day on, Suzette started making my cl- costumes. Suzette started uh, the, the makeup and the hair, the bone logo. Uh, she's, uh, uh, you know, even today on my musical, uh, The Rock and Roll Christmas Tale, which is going to be in Toronto this holiday season, she's the makeup, hair, and, and, and costume designer for the show. So, and I've dealt with, of course, she's this petite, hot, little blonde. The minute you say the singer's girlfriend, fiance, wife, she's been all three and in our in our thirty nine years, is making the clothes or whatever, everybody rolls their eyes, like, oh great. Yoko's here. Yeah, it's the oh no Yoko yeah. syndrome. Yeah, oh no Yoko. <laughs> and so and I fight this every day on Suzette's behalf, yet the minute they said Frankie's girlfriend, I did what everybody else does and went and then when she walked in and she's blonde and cute, I'm like, oh yeah. All right, oh, oh look, she's got a camera. <laughs> she's a filmmaker. Um, I am sorry. I, I am sorry because you shouldn't judge people like that. I fought that my entire life, and you did an incredible job. You, oh, thank you. You obviously were and are a filmmaker, and uh, that, that has, uh, you know, and, and, and for me to just dismiss you. Even though I didn't, I, I went through with the interview. Oh, you were great. <laughs> but you were thinking. Yeah, I, uh, I said, great, oh, this is going to go nowhere, but Fra- Frankie's a friend, so, uh, <laughs> so, so I'll do this for Frankie. Uh, but, uh, and, and it's just, a, it's fantastic. Thank you. And um, that means a lot. It really does. Well, I mean, I mean, and the fact that I'm in it all over the place means nothing. I know when people get telling me, "D, you're like all over the thing." I'm like, "I am." What did I say that was even like, like mattered? You know, I didn't think <laughs> I had so much to say about Quiet Riot. But it was all real. I mean, everything that you said was real and was spot on. And that's that's one of the reasons you're on it as much as you are, because everything you said was relevant and everything you said was important. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, but I think it, part of it is being clean and sober for the 80s <laughs> and uh, that I, I have, I do sort of pride myself on being an observer mm-hmm. as well as a participant. So I sat, you know, and I'm able to recollect and, and, and I think... I didn't realize that the things that I said would differ from other people's, but they were unique. My experiences with the band and with Kevin and Frankie as well uh, were not like everybody else's because I wasn't in that same scene that way. Mm-hmm. But and I kind of felt like you were the voice in the movie that would that said the things that Kevin would have said if he were here, and because he's not here to tell it. You were a pretty good representation of someone who understood everything that happened and told some of the things that he did and explained it really well well the parallels between our bands is is uncanny really and uh i had no awareness of quiet riot being on the east coast and then being west coast i had no idea what was going on on the west coast obviously and we were so caught up in our little world and more likely than not you had no idea what was going on the east coast either until maybe until maybe when it got to the early 80s and then we started it started we started to sort of make noise us in england and you guys started in japan i think is where you got did you get your first record deals you well had- the first two records that were done when randy was in the band was in japan but they were japan. never released in the u.s so right we in- had to imports fight it. yeah but we had to fight it uh on on home territory we had to do it here in the u.s because nobody cared about us here or anywhere in the world at that point in time we were we were uh basically invisible uh, exactly so. exactly Ex- except in your own backyard where 
you know, you had adoring fans locally in we LA. We could sell barbecues at any time. <laughs> any time. The barbecue parties, we could sell those. I don't out know. Some of that footage showed a few more people than a barbecue. <laughs> yeah, no, but we did you, all right. Well, you're going to see, I mean, lo- as a local band, and, and much like Twisted Sister, you guys, you weren't in a bar. When you were playing, when Wire Rider was playing, in, I know that Kevin, I, and I never spoke about this, like myself, he had to be in an arena. I was in an arena from day one. I was never in a club, and I never viewed it as a club. People were yeah. getting a concert experience from the beginning of the show to the end. When they walked in our show, there were barricades in front of the stage that said, keep back. There was nobody there, and there was nothing to keep back from. Yeah. But that's, that was our mental attitude. And when I saw that footage in the dock... When you said you went to see them mm-hmm. and the sirens were going off and the emergency lights were flashing, I said, "That's not not that exact thing, but that's twisted. That was twisted sister. That's how we approached it. It was an attitude, and I can tell yeah. you, I can tell you that the the last two things that Kevin and I would do before we walked up on any stage is we'd look in the mirror to make sure that we looked the way we wanted to look." And I can tell you for a fact, he was stepping on uh, the stage at the L.A. Forum, and I was stepping on the stage at Madison Square Garden. Every single gig we ever did. Oh, hell yeah. That was, that was the measuring stick. We, were, we, were, we could have been in the smallest venue in town. It was still Madison Square Garden. It was still the L.A. Forum. Dude, I would, I, back when the dressing room was the bathroom, mm-hmm. I wouldn't leave the bathroom in between sets. I would just stay in there. And sometimes it was the ladies' room. So you'd be sitting <laughs> in there. And you're, and you're sitting in there, and, and the girls are coming in going, uh, because you're not, they don't know who you are. And this is this dude with makeup and hair. And I'm going, and, and, I, and, they, and I just, I said, look, you don't see stars walking around the, right. the arena. They're not walking out to the, the, getting a beer. You only see stars when they come out on stage. And I'd get there early, and I'd leave late. And it was, just, again, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was an, an event. It was an event. Yeah. Now, watching the doc, and Regina, you caught all this and, and captured all this for posterity, uh, and which I'm glad you did. And again, I, I got to emphasize, this documentary has value and information to impart beyond its music form, beyond the songs. Uh, you know, whether if you like Quiet Riot, that's all bonus. If you're a heavy metal fan, that's a bonus. If you lived in the '80s, that's a bonus. Watch this and learn, because. Because with this documentary, you're able to step back and analyze 30, 40 years of a career and see the ebb and flow and see the struggle and see the changes and see the mistakes. Mm. And they are not just applicable to uh, rock and roll and to heavy metal. You can apply them to any job, anything that you're trying to do. We we go through, you know... I think it, it more aptly to any kind of entertainment, whether it's sports or acting or theater. But you, you can apply the basic lessons learned in a career that it's business. It comes down to a business and the mistakes that are made. There's so much information to share. And it's shared so honestly. And that's what took me back. And that comes from you, Frankie, your willingness to open up and tell truths. And the first one that is like a smack in the face uh, when you're watching. And I, in my book, uh, I, I wrote my own memoirs, and I'm that honest, that blunt. But people aren't that blunt. Mm. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. and Whitewash it, everything. Yeah, and people need to know they're not alone. Yeah. 
This is that. This is just the reality of life. You know, uh, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's that you keep getting back up and moving forward, which Frankie certainly did, and 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 I certainly did as well. But when you say I was a rock star one day, mm-hmm. and I and then and not and the next, you know, it's not the next day literally, yeah. but you just. A just guy. a guy, yeah, just a guy, just another guy in the neighborhood. And you show yourself out shopping for groceries and cooking. Yeah. And uh, by the way, all things I do, all things I've done. <laughs> well, I'm a shitty cooker, but I, I bet. I, but if you know, in a pinch, I, I do. But people say, "Where am I going to run into you?" I said, "Most likely Home Goods." And they said, <laughs> "Why Home Goods?" I said, "Because Suzette said the idea. Suzette swears that every Home Goods has different stuff in it. They do." Yeah, so, so we, we stop at every home goods because and, and she's amazing because she's picked up like a wall sconce in one home goods and then a matching one in another home yep. goods and and then and so if you see D Snyder walking around the aisles of home goods, it's D Snyder. It's it's yeah. not not a look alike. That's that's like uh, uh, we ran into Nikki Six at Whole Foods, you know, or, yeah. or a Petco. Yeah, people they say where you know as people most likely run into me at a, a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks, <laughs> that uh, someplace normal. Yeah. Because that's life. Yep. And we don't think that that's what it's going to be when we say we're going to make it and we're going to be rock stars. We've got this some sort of crazy idea that it's kind of like being a king, I think. <laughs> well, and there's pe- servants who take care of all that stuff yeah, for no, you. No, it doesn't work that way. People Unless think you're Aussie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, you know, people think that we get up in the morning and, and you know, we're, we're in our stage clothes and we land center stage. Our feet don't even, you know, they go from the bed right to center stage and we're all made up in the, in the clothes. No, I wake up in the morning with, with bad hair. You know what I mean? Ooh, I wake up in the yeah. morning with that terrible taste in my mouth, just like everybody else, yeah. you know? Just like everybody a- exactly. else. Exactly. So, you know, you... Your willingness to be that honest and tell the truths of, of the, the, the rise and fall of a very big band. Mm. I mean, you know, as you said in the doc, and, I, and, and so much parallel with Twisted Sister. You know, well, we, we sort of echoed each other in so many ways. Um, you said that, that there was a moment there where Quiet Riot was the biggest thing. And, there's, and I am here too validate that if there's anybody doubting and that's one thing i regina i was really happy to do was to be to say this band deserves way more respect than they are getting way more what they did and what they and the odds that they fought to get there and that door that they didn't open they they, they blew up with a with a with a cannon i mean they just knocked the, they didn't they didn't put a hole in the wall they knocked the wall down i think is what i said yeah. and we and the floodgates were open yeah. That, for that alone, being number one on the charts, dethroning, dethroning Michael Jackson's Thriller and Synchronicity. Who the fuck does that? And I, I said, we did. Yeah. <laughs> Twisted Sister didn't do that. No, sir. We did not do that. We did not sell 10 million copies, right? Was it 10 of the. Yeah, 10, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. That, that, is, that alone is why Quiet Riot should be, and it's the first time I'm saying this, should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because it's, it was a game changer. It's something, and it wasn't that they were following the other bands. As, as you know, Twisted was trying to be that breakthrough band, and we were around as long as you sure. guys were, but we didn't do it. No, it was, we, we were lucky. We were really, really lucky to be able to be at the right place and at the right time with the right material. But How can you even say that? We had how, no idea. How was the right place? There wasn't, it wasn't a right place or right time. You guys kind of just made well, what it. I, no, what I mean by that is that we actually managed to do a record when, when nobody was doing records like that. And, and we managed to get it out, you know, 
I mean, it wasn't the greatest deal, but we had a record. We got it out. It was a terrible deal. We had a terrible deal, too. We didn't make any money off those records. But we still still had the opportunity to have a record out and and to get it in the – you know, bottom 200 and work our way and fight our way up to the top. And, and, you know, there was no blueprint for that. Nobody was doing what we were doing. Nobody was doing those songs. It wasn't popular. It wasn't cool. Nobody liked the way we looked. Nobody liked the way we sounded. And there was no hair metal. No. There were no hair bands. It was, it, there was, it was, there was heavy metal and there were bands that were oddities. Yep. You know, whether it was Quiet Riot and, you know, or Twisted Sister or even Venom. In, in the UK, who were doing their whole devil thing. It wasn't a black metal back then. It was, everybody was just metal, and then, you know, coming from a hard rock background. And, uh, and it was, in, you know, and it's, then it became hair metal because those floodgates opened by Quiet Riot, and everybody just poured through, and then they had to find a definition for what was going on and said, oh, I know, they all have hair. We'll call it hair metal. Hair metal. <laughs> I like cock rockers better, but, you know, because you can see our moose knuckles through our spandex. But you know, it's 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 but but that I guess that was you could that wasn't good for the mainstream. <laughs> yeah, that was hiding nothing. <laughs> well, look, I, but this I, what I want I want to share the information again is is this. Road and the realities of, and not the road as in touring, this path we get on where as a young man or young women, we dream of, of, this, of this elusive stardom. And we get there, it's not exactly what we thought it would be. Yeah. There's a rude awakening. Yeah, you know, the fascinating thing about it is that I think when, and you'll probably relate to this, when you're going to be a musician, especially a rock musician, you're going into this industry... In the back of your mind, you you have that feeling that chances are 9 out of 10, you're going to fail, yet you still do it. And it's that idea that in the back of your mind, the chances are pretty good that you're going to fail and you still do it. That's what propels you to do it, is to deny that thing in the back of your head. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for me. This music is not popular. The way we look, it's not popular. Yet you do it anyway. You know. Yeah. I think that's what gets you to the success level is the fact that you say, you know what, forget all about that. I'm doing it anyway. Nobody's telling me no. And that's a very important thing. You and I discussed something else that we both, because we got on the phone and and Frankie and I just started going. And I said, we're going to rehash some of this stuff because it's important. Uh, And and we we discussed the idea of having a safety net Mm -hmm. um, that both of us were encouraged by our parents to have a safety net. Uh, and, and, you know, we understand our parents, uh, and I think you've lost both your parents. Yes, correct. Uh, and, uh, and sadly, I realize you've had so many uh, great losses in your life, and I'm fortunate enough to have both mine alive, but they're from that same generation, mm-hmm. depression babies, who they just, dreams, they, they look, dreams don't come true. <laughs> Anything you get comes from just like clawing and fighting and, and blood, sweat, and tears, which actually is true. But, um, and they said, and you got, you know, and once they saw that, I was, I was, there was no change in my mind. The mm-hmm. next plan was get me to have a safety net. Yeah. And for me, it was go to college. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll study radio, which I know I've done for the last 20 years. But trust me, it wasn't because I didn't attend class for a year <laughs> at New York Institute <laughs> of Technology. Uh, and, you, uh, and your parents did the same thing with you. Yeah, architectural drafting. That was, that was a thing that was a solid job. You know, they're always going to build something. So you're going to have a career. You know, you can be, a, uh, you can be in architecture or you can uh, marry people, or you can bury people. Those things are always going to happen, and that was a given. And, um, 
and I, I, I knew that if I had something to fall back on, the, the minute I had a bad week, a bad month, or a bad year, I would say to myself, you know what, now I'm, I'm tired of starving, I'm tired of sleeping on people's couches, you know, I'm, star- I'm, I'm tired of uh, cashing in bottles in order to get, you know, something at Carl's Jr., um, and I knew that if I had that safety net, I was going to use it prematurely. So I took that out of the equation. That's exactly the same thing that I did as well. And and while this is going to be a cautionary tale overall, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there is information to be imparted here as well. You know, you've got to set yourself up for epic failure yep. if you want epic success. Uh, if you have a safety net, knowing it's there will make you more comfortable about falling into it. When you remove that net, and the only place to go is up. You are going to try not to die as hard as you can. You know, you're going to fight harder well, to the, succeed. The other thing about a safety net is if you have a safety net and somebody, and somebody you know, puts you down or you don't get the gig or, you know, nothing happens the way you're going, um, it's a lot easier to accept it and you become soft. But if you don't have that safety net, you have nothing but to keep pushing towards the future and to be successful because you have nothing else. You know, if you fall, you're going to hit and you're going to hit hard, really hard. So you learn to keep struggling. You hurt. You learn to keep fighting because you have nothing else. All you have is yourself. That's, That's right. it. Now, this, is, uh, this is an abstract question. Do you doodle? Uh, you mean like drawing? Yes. Oh, yeah. On, on papers. Yeah. Do you have a consistent, like people tend to have a, a, a consistent doodle they do. Regina, do you have one? Um, not as much, but he does. He does a, he does a little drawing of himself. That he mm-hmm. leaves, he used to leave drawings for his daughter every time he would go on tour. He would draw yeah. a note with a, with an airplane and a picture of him and a picture of his drums. And oh. I have a collection of those that I'm going to give her one day. And I'm a pacer. That's the other thing with me is when, when I'm doing business on the phone, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a pacer. I can't sit there, you know, like I, like pace. I pace. And I mean, I go around the entire house just pacing away as I do my business. I, so. I, my doodle, which I think was interesting, was always a three-dimensional arrow. Mm-hmm. On like a forty-five degree angle, mm-hmm. g- going up through a circle. So it has to do with <laughs> career success and fucking. I'm pretty, su- I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. So, um, but okay. Now the question I get asked this question all the time. So I'm going to ask you the question, and I kind of almost with you, Frank. I almost know the answers because we uh, we're both from New York, and we're both from the same era, and we mm-hmm. both we've been through so much similar experiences and. But at the same time, people need to hear. People say, how did you... I lost everything. Mm-hmm. I, 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 every penny I made, I spent. Uh, and and I, I, I woke up one day, married three kids, zero dollar income. No one's giving me any advances anymore. No, home, no house, no cars, riding a bicycle to a desk job, answering phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people walking into the office and going, aren't you? This is 1991. Okay, so you're talking a few years after the heyday. Mm-hmm. And I would lie. I would say, no. And they go, wow, it's uncanny. I go, yeah, I know. I hear it all the time. Because I was so humiliated and so embarrassed. But I was getting 200 bucks cash that my family needed. Yeah. And that you do what you got to do. But people say, why, why didn't you save your money? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you, you know, put a real, say, okay, stop the stupidity and, 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 and you made a lot of money. Why didn't you save it? Did you run into the same thing I ran into in the sense of where you blew it all, or did you, or were you smart about it? No, my situation was a little different because what happened is in 1983, before the record came out, I found out that my mother had cancer, 
And so for the next eight years, that was, that was um, the cross she had to bear. And that was a cross I was bearing financially. And fortunately, uh, in the worst case scenarios, that I was making money with Quiet Right at that point in time because my mother didn't have any insurance. So uh, I'm sorry, I'm just, I, this is a radio thing. I, I just got to stop. So 83, when the band is breaking, mm-hmm. all your dreams are coming true. Mm-hmm. Your mom... You find out your mom has cancer. My mom has cancer, and my and my father had passed away in '74, so he never got an opportunity to see me actually not fail at at what he thought was you know a, a sketchy um, yeah a sketchy, nice. you know way to go through. But he didn't he didn't have the but, opportunity. So the, the responsibility for your mom's because she's in New York, you're in L.A. No, she was actually in Florida. At oh, Florida. So, yeah. But you're touring the world. Yeah. But so now, you, so economic responsibility, you're helping her out at this point. Oh, I, you know, I, I paid off her house, uh, the cars that she was driving. You know, I did. You know, the the, the house needed a, a new roof. It got done, the driveway and all that. But what really became um, the difficult part for me financially was that the, the bills were becoming astronomical because, again, no insurance. Nobody would, you know, she had cancer, so nobody was going to insure her. And I remember one time I got a bill, and I said to myself, well, you know, 1700 that's not too bad. And I looked again, it was 17000 and it kept escalating from there. And then at the point where she finally agreed to come and live with me out in California, by that point it was already too late. Um, she lasted uh, less than a month. But, you know, I got her a private room, you know, the best doctors, and we did the best we can. But at that point in time, um, I had to sell my house because I could no longer afford to pay for her expenses and her medical expenses now this and is, my own thing. Oh, what, what, what year is this now? This was uh, 1989. 89. So yeah. Quiet Riot's gone through its ugly fall. Absolutely. And I had my own ugly fall yeah. uh, where, where you're like your name is your persona non grata. Both our bands suffered that indignity as well for whatever reason yeah. you know, they decide. If, you went from being the coolest thing in the world to the uncoolest thing in the world. I say you pointing, saying yeah. you mean, yeah. uh, being us. I'm going, how did this and, – and, and, I, and I swear to you, I said the same thing you know, uh, about Quiet Riot. I go, you know, you were heroes – it, you know, uh, in the beginning, and when the album first came out, yeah. and by the end, uh, by the time you get to the follow-up album, you're like, you know, it's like uh, you're dismissed. Yep. And Twist Scissors, same thing. I went from being here, I am screaming, makeup, bloody bone, and you know, <laughs> and, you know, as street as you can be, and everybody, yeah. yeah. And the same year, the same album cover became like a a, a parody of itself. Yep. Yeah. Like I was a clown in a wearing a clown costume now, like. It's the same album. It's the same. It's the same tour. Same year. Yeah. What the fuck happened? Yeah, and we do a follow up record that sells over two million copies, and that's a failure. Yeah, you know that's a failure, and and it continued to spiral. And I mean, you know, truth be told, you know, Kevin, you're not alone in that. By the way, that happens all the time. No. ACDCs, for those about to rock, that was considered a failure after back after back in black. But the difference is that that you know they continued to move forward. Where you know, sadly, and I always say, and I say this from 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 a good place and from love that Kevin was my my biggest asset but he was also my biggest liability because being the lead singer as you know people come to you you know you are the voice of your band and Kevin was the voice as I was I think if the guys in Twisted are listening to this they're screaming us too (laughs) they're literally screaming at the iPod or whatever saying yes our biggest asset D Snyder and our biggest liability it's it's yeah, so it's, you can relate to it, oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and you know, you know, Kevin, Kevin, he was a, the most honest person I've ever known, and there were no filters. That's that's a Molotov cocktail. 
being that honest in this industry and no and no filter whatsoever, it was devastating. So, Regina, so, you showed that very well. I guess there was a lot of footage to play with, but <laughs> everything Frankie said, you were you were very able to. I, 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 I and you know, I'm oversimplifying because it was probably a lot of work on your part to find those bits of footage to represent. But yeah. seeing Kevin when they ask him about the other bands in L.A. and that smirk yeah. that comes on his face, it, yeah. that, that tells you everything. Even before he opens up his mouth, that tells you everything where it's going. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was, he was. He, and, you know, it's funny because it's not funny, but I, I talked about it on the um, on the dock, and and Kevin literally we went to dinner. Kevin and and, and me and JJ, uh, and I think Mark Mendoza was there, and he said, "Don't you hate the fact?" That these bands like Motley Crue and Rat are like getting, if they're a couple of years together, they get a deal and they're getting success. Don't you hate that? And I said, no. And he goes, why not? I go, Kevin, we went through hell. I went through what I went through. I wouldn't wor- wish on my worst enemy. I would not say I want you to have the eight years of hell I went through to find success. Absolutely, it was fuck. I said it beat the dream out of me. By the time we made it, I had been through the ringer so much. It was I just went. I went. Huh? It was like too little, too late. It literally beat the dream out yeah, of me. Is that all there is? I said, and these guys, Rat and Quiet Rot, not Quiet Rot, Rat and Motley and those bands, they clearly, they, you know, they put let's put a band together. And hey, after a couple of years of struggle, we got a record. That's how it's supposed to happen. See, it's, I took pride. I took pride in the fact that all these other bands that were playing the L.A. Um, circuit, you know, all the bar bands were playing the same circuit. I took pride in knowing that the success that Quiet Riot had made it possible to give everybody else a hand up because that meant that the that the charts would have more of us. And also pride in the fact that it's well-earned. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, I don't think that the other bands didn't earn it, but damn, what we went through... We deserved everything we we got, and except some, except for the failure, uh, <laughs> except for the failure part. But uh, no, we, I mean we we earned, it, and it was pride. But that's a frustration. Was always a frustration to me that people didn't know how hard we worked. And our documentary, uh, "We Are Twisted Fucking Sister," literally chronicles the fact that the band started in '73, right? And when you found out about us in 1983 and '84. That was 10 years. 10 years later. Yeah. 10 years. Okay? Of nothing. Of 10 no- years of nothing. Well, 10 years of local popularity reinforcing and making and keeping us going, but at the same time of, 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 of disappointment mm-hmm. and struggle and keep going. And that's a story that I'm glad is being told, and that's told in the Quiet Riot doc as well. Even though it's, it chronicles uh, the story of you trying to restart the band without Kevin and without any of the other guys, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you like my quote, Regina? Which one? You, oh yeah, you, there was a lot of them. No, the one for the the one for the yes, the bond? yes. <laughs> Ringo should take inspiration. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Classic. Classic. Uh, he Classic. should. He should because Frankie, uh, Frankie, uh, you know, against all odds, he's put the band back together and he's out there and they're playing and he's and he's touring and and whatever. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a break. When we come back. We'll find out what's going on with the band now. We'll find out where people. What's the future for the documentary and and. And, uh, and we'll talk a little more about uh, the love and struggle and life of Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister and, and why you might want to reconsider your career choice. <laughs> when I return with more Snyder comments. 
Hey, there's great news, Shaq fan. That's right, I'm talking to you. You can admit it. Be honest, there's no one on this planet that doesn't love Shaq food. Look it up, Google it. And that is pretty obvious because the big podcast was the biggest podcast on iTunes Sports 10 hours after it hit the shelves. It's up right now at podcast1.com. So, how big is it going to get? Well, let's ask the big man. Fits you, fits me, fits everybody. There you have it. Catch new episodes of the big podcast with Shaq. That's me. At iTunes and right here at podcast1.com. Welcome back to Snyder Comments, here with Frankie Benali and Regina Russell, uh, Frankie, drummer from Quiet Riot, and Regina, director of the Quiet Riot doc. Uh, Quiet Riot, now you hear there's no way back. That song uh, is really kind of, I'm sure it was written in the late 70s, mm-hmm. and really so this talks about the dream, yeah. about making it, and what those, those symbols of success mean to us. Yeah, well, having a Guido car... Uh, meant that you were really successful. That had to be a Cadillac or a Lincoln. All these no. years out on the West Coast, you have not lost your New York accent. <laughs> I love your I love your license plates on your car. Oh, New, New York, York drama. drama. Yeah, because everybody makes fun of my accent. There's right? no R. There's my no, there's my no daughter, R. she goes, uh, so, Daddy, have you had your coffee this morning? <laughs> yeah, she does that to me all and the co- time. You mean your daughter yeah. and your coffee? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to have coffee. Uh, you know what? I, I, I just, and this, because we're talking about you know uh, the ebb and flow of a career and and the, and the shocking falling off that sometimes happens. Speaking of slick black Cadillacs, um, I remember seeing Robin from uh, the last time I saw Robin Crosby from Rat it was on Sunset Strip, and he got into a big Cadillac limousine, mm-hmm. and he. And, and he, he said goodbye, and then he opened the, the, the roof, and he stood up, and, he, and Robin was like six foot six, mm-hmm. big guy. They call him King was his nickname. Stood through the, the moon roof, and was riding down Sunset Strip with throwing the horns, screaming rock and roll. Right. <laughs> that was the last time I saw him, and the next time I heard about him, he was dying of AIDS. Yeah. From drug addiction, over three hundred pounds from some some glandular disorder. Yep. And, I, and that's how he died. And I and I and that contrast, because last time I saw him, he couldn't have been more on top of the world. Mm-hmm. And now he had fa- and, and that, that was the reality of this business is you can fall that hard. Let me give you let me give you um, the other side of that coin, because you saw him in that period where he was on top of the world. The last time I saw him was shortly it must have been maybe two to six months before he died. And I was in line at a bank 
cashing a, uh, a session check because as soon as I got paid the, the check, I went straight to the branch. You know, oh, yeah. Because he just don't know. And, uh, and he was in front of me um, trying to cash a check that he had with no ID. And, and he just looked. He looked, you know, really, really bad at that point. It was really, really sad because I knew Robin. He was a great guy. Great guy. Uh, but, I, I, you know, we all saw him go from, from the top of the heap to being buried by the heap. And it was very sad. Which is his, you know, and I want to say that the, the, the stories we're telling, this isn't to dissuade you from trying to make it. And this isn't to try and tell you don't even give it a shot. Like, like uh, I think uh, Jeans said that mm-hmm. publicly. And I've heard other people say that as well. You know, get a day job. You know, I, you know uh, no, I think you should go for it. I think you should try. But just go in with your eyes open and be aware that it's not quite what you might think it's going to be. It could be. You could be the point zero 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 one percenter who has a career for a lifetime and changes the world with their music, ongoing album after album, song after song. But just in case you're not, just realize that when you, that that making it, getting there, is part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And 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 as I woke up one day in my early thirties with nothing, no money, no, and, and married and three kids and and broke and and no career, and I said. What am I going to do for the next 50 years? Because yeah. I ain't cashing in my chips. I'm not bailing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to go the distance. Here for the long haul. Yeah, I am. But I had not prepared in any way. I had never thought. And I think that being myopic like that is part of the success is that when you're that focused and you're that driven and you, you, know, you just won't allow yourself to accept defeat as a, an option. And that pushes us and, and, and helps me get helps us get where we're going. But at the same time, once you get there uh, or you get somewhere along that, on that road, just be keep your eyes open and be aware you may have to find another path to continue on that journey. Be aware because the money does run out. Yeah. Be aware because the money does run out. You have to have that attitude that you're going to keep going even if you have four flat tires. But at some point, you're going to have to replace those tires. So you're going to have to keep working. You have to make sure that you go into it full eyes open because it's not, it's not the fantasy thing. It's not what you see on TV where some kid goes up on one of those TV shows now and starts singing and he wins the competition after eight and ten weeks and then he's got yeah. a record deal. He's on top of the world. No, he's got a record deal for one single. And if that doesn't hit, he gets dumped on. Yeah, well, look at that long list of people from these shows, American Idol and The Voice, and go beyond the season mm-hmm. and see how many have been able to continue to have a career. And some have. Adam Lambert, Clay Aiken, uh, even Diana, Mend- uh, Diana DeGarmo, uh, who was one of the runners-up on, on her year of American Idol. I know her, and she went into theater. So some people parlayed. There's that word. That's your word for the day, kids. Parlay. Put it on the refrigerator. Look at it. She parlayed with what she did with American Idol into a career in theater, and that's great. But not most of those people just fall off completely. They don't even get this. Like I said, there was a three- to five-year window back in the 80s. Now it's one to three, two, six months, whatever you can get, if you can get it. And I just want to answer the question about why would I, didn't I regroup when I saw the writing on the wall? And, you know, because I, I can't blame drugs. I didn't do any. I can't blame alcohol. I didn't drink. That's where me and Kevin parted ways. Mm-hmm. I can't blame management or my accountants or my lawyers because I've got brain cells and I was an active participant in my career. I made those bad career choices. It's the ego that got me there in the first place that wouldn't allow me to believe 
it was over. Right. That same ego that wouldn't let you accept failure, that said, I'm going to make it. When there were bumps in the road, that same ego said, I, I can overcome this. The next album, the next tour, I'll borrow, I'll advance against future income, future mm-hmm. income. And then one day they cut you off and there is no income. And like I said, zero dollars on an income tax statement around 1991, 92. Zero. OK, that, that's how bad things got. All right, look, I want to take a minute to talk about the future of the doc. Quiet Riot. Now you hear there's no way, there's, there's no way back, which is a great line. A great line from, from Metal Health. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I, at first I thought, what a great title for the movie. And then I realized it was a line from the song. It is sort of an epitaph in a way. It's just kind of crazy. Regina, it's, you can see it on Showtime. Where, what are the outlets is it available on now? Or where will it be available in the future? Well, we're putting together about an hour of bonus features, which is what I'm working on right now. So, when- Am I in there? Yes. yes okay. I've taken the, the rest of your interview. And There's gold in their words. <laughs> oh, please. Sweet talk at you. <laughs> so, that, so that there's something, if, if you've seen it on Showtime or, or in, it was in a theater for a week, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's I really some, wanted to go to that, more. by the way, because it would have been cool to see it in a theater. Yeah. yeah it was fun. Really great. cool. It must have been great. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. But, it, but it's on Showtime. That's where I saw it now. Okay. And go, moving forward. Um, around the end of August, maybe beginning of September, it's not finalized the date yet, but we're going to release on DVD and Blu-ray and Amazon, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, but if you go to quietrightmovie.com, everything will be listed there. Quietrightmovie.com. And, and I, again, I can't emphasize enough, this is not a heavy metal documentary. It's not a quiet riot. It is a quiet riot. It is heavy metal. And it is 80s metal. But there's so much more to be gained, to be gleaned, to be learned from this, this journey that this band took and that Frankie takes uh, and the experience. And then the post and then trying to, to, to reform the band and trying to recreate magic that was once there and the disappointment that Frankie goes through. Very honestly, it's so honest, it's so open, uh, it's so poignant that, if, that anybody can watch this doc and, and learn and, and, and have their eyes open and get something out of it. So make sure you check that out. And Frankie, what's going on with Quiet Riot? We're continuing to tour. Um, we've got dates right now into November, and uh, a lot of that has to do November. With- you know, there's no R's in New York. <laughs> the letter R is lost. You know, I mean, get some coffee for my daughter, throw some water. I should have ordered. <laughs> I'm a drummer. New I mean, York. It's not just you in New York. New York. Yeah, where are, you from? are you a New Yorker? Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's no an R. A. It's an A at the end. <laughs> I do voiceover. How hard it was to get the to get the to get the, the coffee out of the conversation and put an R on everything. Okay, and say two instead of tu. Yeah, yeah I'm going to the, I'm going to the store. Yeah, store. I got to get some water <laughs> for my daughter. See, but you sound normal to me. So <laughs> I know. it's these other foreigners that I have a problem with. <laughs> no, it's great, man. It's great. It's nice to be home. Yeah, it's great. It's <laughs> so, great. so you got dates through November, and who's singing now? I mean, in the end of the documentary you go through a few yeah and jizzy from uh from uh, love hate love hate yeah he gets dropped in yeah he's been in the band uh, a little bit over uh a year now about a year and a half so i think he's he's gone over the uh, the hurdle of the previous two uh, entries and uh, and he's doing great and he's his own person and 
he does the material with a lot of respect, you know, because it does sound like Quiet Riot, but at the same time, it doesn't lose his personality or his vocal style, which is, to me, it's a, it's a plus, because you have to sound like Quiet Riot to a certain degree. But you also want to be something that's moving forward at the same time. And I think we're doing that with Jizzy. That's great. Do you do you do, you do any love hate in the set? No, we don't do it you because can throw, you can throw, let's rumble maybe. Well, you, they had a couple of really good songs, Blackout and a Red Room. I'm I'm you not know? I'm not I'm not against doing it, but I think we're still at the stages where people are either still trying to accept someone other right. than Kevin Dubrow, number one, and number two, um, are the people that, that you know, are waiting to see if he's going to be around. So I got you. you well, know, well, what, are your th- what are your thoughts about new Quiet Riot music? Well, you know, the interesting thing about that is we actually recorded a record, um, and I decided just to do digital uploads on, on um, Amazon and iTunes and things like that. And I got a lot of flack from the, fa- uh, from the fans saying that they wanted physical copies, and at the same time, there's all these sites over in Europe and uh, in South America that are, you know, selling the record for, you know, they're selling the record. Right. And I'm not getting his bootleg. I'm not getting any of the income. I can't even break even. And I finally said, you know what? New music from Quiet Rye will happen when it's the right time. But the industry right now is not really friendly to do it. You can't even, you can't even break even. I mean, you know, when I see no. people releasing records for free, you know, and, 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 and they have, it'll say, you know, such and such multi-platinum artist is releasing a new record, which you can download all 11 tracks for free. What does that tell you? Multi-platinum artist is giving the music away because everybody else is stealing it. What happened? No, it's I I totally understand. And and as far as twist, new twisted scissor, I say absolutely not. And they go, what do you mean absolutely not? I said, there's no market for it. You put all that effort, all that time, all that money, and a handful of people actually are willing to buy it. Radio won't play it. Radio won't play it. The video won't get shown. It goes on YouTube. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And then this happens. The minute you say on stage, this one's from the new record, (laughs) you can see people going to the bathroom. (laughs) Or or get the beer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they literally, I mean, and I say this from the stage. I say, I have eyes. I can see you, Lee, streaming out of the room. I said, and you know, I know you're not just doing it to Twisted. I saw it with Led Zeppelin at Madison Square Garden. They toured the physical graffiti record before it was released. The minute they went into Kashmir, the, half the place went to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, I'm in the beer, buddy. Who wants a God's hot dog? I said it's Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I call that I call that the audience version of all of them being the AFL CIO union break. You know what I mean? Here's our new song. <laughs> and I say and the last thing I say is listen, if you gotta leave, you gotta pee, you gotta get a beer, save it for the drum solo like everybody else does. <laughs> hence 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 why I avoid doing drum solos because I will not give them a break. Ah, you don't get a break. Play a solo through the entire right. song, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I really liked 30. I like that song. Th- thank you. That, you know, I, and, uh, you know, look, we could talk about new music. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a song for free with my solo stuff. I got a song called The Hell and Back. Just putting it out there for free. Now, we're doing a date together in, uh, in Sheridan, Wisconsin. We're on the same day when it's uh, rocking the rocking the railroad. Or Is it D. Like Snyder or D. Snyder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw so, that. I saw that. So you're going to be performing that? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll be there. But yeah, the bathroom song. <laughs> but I'm going to be calling him out there another song. I see you out there. Well, I'll be going to hell and get get back in here. I can guarantee you, I will be on the side of the stage watching the song. 
peeing into a Snapple bottle. Thank you. Okay? Thank you. You know, what I do now, wear an adult diaper. It just, you know, it's part laziness, part necessity. But yeah, for, yeah the, tour, now, the, tours are, the tours are now being backed by Depends and Ensure. <laughs> exactly. All right, Frankie, it's been great talking to you, Regina. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, until next time, everybody, uh, this is the Snyder, Snyder Comments.